Don't call me Junior. Look what you did! I can't believe what you did! You know, sharing your adventures is an interesting experience. Time to let old Painless out the bag. Payback time. Welcome to Predator Minute, the podcast that analyzes the 1987 action sci-fi horror classic Predator one minute at a time. I'm John Zabriskie. And I'm Jeff Glover. And with us today, we have another Zabriskie. I don't know if you can believe it, but there are more of us out there. Joining us today as our very special guest is my dad, Bill Zabriskie. And hello, and uh, great to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us on the program. Yes, thank you. We look forward to your expertise, which we will make it to a little bit later. But we are It's an honor to be here. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Uh, we're talking minute 19 today on Predator Minute. Minute 19 opens with Billy telling Dutch, Harold is likely just disappeared, and ends with the team maneuvering through the thick jungle. And there's quite a lot that happens in this minute. We see a couple of the firsts in terms of iconic imagery from this movie. And I am super excited to talk about both of them, even though I'm going to be honest right now and up front, I completely don't understand how they make the thermal imaging work, but that's the whole reason I asked my dad on because he has that experience. I'm super excited to hear about that because that's one of the best parts of the film. Yeah. Well, hope you're excited to talk about it, dad. But yeah, and what we usually do is we just kind of run through the minute. Um, Jeff, you want to start us off? Yeah, we should probably start at the beginning when uh, (laughs) (laughs) when uh, uh, Billy and uh, Billy and Dutch are finishing up their conversation. Right. All right. Mm -hmm. So uh, Dutch says hell or no, excuse me. Billy says hell. It's like they just disappeared. Hell, it's like they just disappeared. Dutch tells Billy to stick with the gorilla trail. Stick with the gorilla trail. And they're going to get. They're going to go off and get the hostages. And tells the rest of the team, we move. Five meter spread. No sound. Let's get the hostages. We move. Five meter spread. No sound. Oh, big set of posts. So really, in the first uh, few seconds of this minute, we're just finishing up the conversation that we left off on uh, in the last minute, mm-hmm. um, which we talked about in quite a bit of detail. Um, but we get here just a little closure. We find out they're going to, uh, Dutch is telling Billy to stick to the trail and we're going to, and he tells them to move out. We're going to spread five meter spread, no sound and they're off. Yeah. And uh, the note I made here was a callback to when he was kind of comforting Panchito a little bit when he was saying like, yeah, trying to forget Afghanistan and Arnold, you know, gives him the kind of buddy, buddy, like, yeah, yeah. Like we're just on to the next thing. We survived that. Right. And then here at the very beginning uh, where, where he's uh, wrapping up his conversation with Billy he, uh, after watching this a few times this minute, I, I am totally seeing Arnold flex his leadership muscles or Dutch, um, I guess they're one and the same in this movie. Um, and he, he gives he gives Billy this kind of shoulder nudge and says, hey, let's get the hostages. Kind of like, hey, forget about what happened back there on, you know, third and long. Like, let's 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 go for the, the touchdown. Let's go for the Hail Mary here. Let's let's get after, you know, the real mission here. Let's get after them. Forget about them. Um, and to me, I think that really speaks to Dutch knowing Billy is kind of like this guy who maybe can just kind of stick to something or like, not move not be able yeah, to move on yeah. very he's, well he's trying to, to um, get him to, to move past 
which is funny because he probably just saw the most horrific thing he's ever seen in his entire life. <laughs> and Arnold's <laughs> like, ah, let's, let's move along here. Spread out. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Get your, yeah. Just stay focused. But, uh, yeah. So, so I have a, I have a question about this from yeah. a leadership perspective. You know, m- many times I think in the, in the modern world, when we're presented with choices, we spend a lot of time analyzing and talking to stakeholders and, and uh, building up a consensus on how to proceed. And that, that isn't what happens here. Mm-mm, no. So, you know, are there areas in your life where this is more of the leadership style? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, because we're yeah. Jeff and I are both teachers. So I think it really depends on your own philosophy. Do I want a principal who's just really good with saying, here's what everybody's going to do. Here's the required training or videos or whatnot. And you just do them by this date. I think for a lot of people that I work with, that that is really like the model that works for us. Uh, it's just kind of being told as opposed yeah. to kind of finding your own way. Yeah. I, you know, um, Jeff, I appreciate uh, a boss, you know, a principal in our case or a boss that uh, will just make decisions. You know, sometimes it, sometimes you want the decisions to be put up to the group because it makes sense for the group to come to a consensus about something. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes you just want the leadership to make a decision, mm-hmm. disseminate that decision and uh, just stand by it because that's what good leadership is sometimes, you know, and some people aren't going to be happy. Some people will be happy, but in the end, sometimes a, des- a decision just needs to be made. So, you know, Arnold's kind of doing that here. He's, he's kind of like, well, here's what's going to happen. We're just going to keep on moving forward. We have a job to do. We have hostages to find. And uh, I'm just going to tell you guys to keep on moving forward. And we're not going to sit here and dwell on the horrific flayed bodies that are hanging from the trees. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a focus yeah. on the mission and the object or the objective, and it, it never leaves his mind. And given a, a choice here, he just says the objective hasn't right. changed. Let's go. Right. We're not going to sit here and dwell. That's the word I was looking for. We're not going to sit here and dwell on the situation. Uh, although at the same time, he is clearly all Arnold is clearly all for letting his team just bring whatever equipment they want to, whatever weapons, whatever <laughs> headwear. Cause, right. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute, but uh, what, what's your take dad on Billy played by Sonny Landham, who is from Kentucky. Hey, a fellow uh, bluegrass native, just like you yourself. Well, I wanted to explore more uh, something you, you mentioned in a previous podcast that uh, Billy came with a bodyguard <laughs> Not to protect Billy, but to protect people so, from Billy. So great. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to start doing that and in my personal life. The men in this movie are huge. <laughs> and apparently the, the bodyguard was essentially the biggest guy in camp. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what, why did uh, why did people need protecting from, from, from him? That's, that's a good question. I, I think, uh, gosh, I think it was Aaron way back in – Minute four or five was mentioning how Billy would go out with the group uh, pre bodyguard days and they'd be like in the discotheque there in Mexico and he would just, Billy would just be out of control, like fighting people in the bar and like biting people on the leg on the dance floor. (laughs) Totally nuts stuff. So breaking chairs over. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So then at that point, it's like, well, we can either fire him or you can keep him. But with this insurance or insurance liability or whatever i don't know this condition yeah so, yeah, so you I, like that story I, I, that's I think, good all right <laughs> yeah i like the story and i i like the character um he of course he's uh 
you know, the, the Native American. Uh, half Italian. Uh, I don't know. It's almost as. <laughs> yeah. Right, he's half Italian. <laughs> but it's almost. On his mom's side. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, despite the, uh, the the typecasting, I just think he's. Oh, he's so good. He's terrific in the role. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's uh, something else. We talked about, gosh, I'm totally blanking what we talked about. Um, but like originally his character was supposed to be this Central American oh, yeah. Indian who would speak in broken English, very Tonto-like lines, like many men that way. Uh, versus here, it's just like, he just sounds like a good old boy. As soon as he opens his mouth, he's just, right. oh, he's like, he's like a Southern gentleman just out and about with his buddies out, you know, with <laughs> in the jungle. Yeah, I, I I tend to really appreciate Billy and his fear, just his ongoing motif of, of being scared. He, he and, is and his, in a lot his of fear. Yeah, he is in a lot of ways uh, being us, the audience. Right? He's he's asking questions. He's uh, he's mm-hmm. scared. Um, he's trying to make the best logical decision in this sort of illogical situation. Um, and so a lot of us that are, you know, as mm-hmm. the audience watching the movie, you're thinking about what you would do in that situation. And uh, I think Billy really kind of plays into that. Yeah. Well, and, they, and they're clearly using him uh, to bring a prem- mm. the premonition to the audience. Uh, you know, it's the music, it's the, uh, the, the uh, close confines of the jungle and uh, his premonitions bring that fear out early, earlier perhaps than uh, yeah. uh, than it would have come out otherwise. All right, so we get past the uh, conversation. Did you have anything yeah. else to add about that conversation? Okay, uh, so around uh, 14 seconds into <laughs> the minute here, we get uh, a quick shot of Mac and Blaine, and uh, they tell us that, or uh, Mac tells us, Mac! That it's time. We have to do our own drops because we don't have the drops Mac. ready this time. <laughs> Mac! Mac! Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mac tells Blaine it's that, it, quote, Mac. it's time to let old Painless out of the bag. It's time to let old Painless out of the bag. So this is when we start to, we get our first, like, real glimpse or real uh, foreshadowing that the minigun is going to come out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah, we yeah. get uh, it's time to let old painless out of the bag, and then we get the great line. Uh, uh, he says, "Payback time." Payback time. After he removes it from the duffel, he pulls it out. Yeah. says, "Payback time," and we get a nice shot of the minigun. Did you want to talk a little bit about that minigun, John? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, do I? Uh, so, <laughs> so yes. you so you talk about the things that this movie's known for. Uh, it's the iconic lines. It's the predator and all its glory with the thermal vision the active mm-hmm. camouflage the variety of weapons uh you talk about the a-team scene in the middle where yeah. they're blowing up the gorilla camp just blowing it to hell uh and all these things um but one of the mainstays for me is always the minigun old it's what you always remember about this movie right like if you haven't uh, seen minigun. the movie in 20 years let's say someone yes. asks you about it like what do you remember you remember jesse ventura firing the shit out of that thing into the into the jungle yeah no not only jesse but i mean it's, oh, right. it's yeah, all yeah, yeah, yeah. mac at that point where he's just the wide shot and behind him and he's just right. that's right <laughs> looks like he just mowed the jungle down with what what what, what yes. jesse ventura calls like firing a chainsaw but yeah I, I made a whole list of like i listed some of the iconic movie weapons that i could think yeah, of I, and i could find online what people put in their lists and this one stands out to me but i was wondering what do you guys think of uh, as iconic movie weapons you think like oh this is well, definitely I love, from a certain I love that you talked about this as being uh, the minigun is sort of like its own little character, 
right? Because like like we were saying, it's something you always remember. And uh, yeah. yeah, you you yep. I have, I have a guess what yours is, Jeff. <laughs> well, you know me, I, I'm always lean ahead. towards the horror side of things. Uh, and and uh, you you put a couple of yep. these in your list, but uh, yeah, Jason's machete, Freddie's glove, yeah. <laughs> Um, but I, I, from my favorite of all of them would probably be Bruce Campbell's chainsaw hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. The yep. from, That's exactly uh, what I thought. Evil Dead and the Evil Dead series. <laughs> yeah. That is, it's so iconic yeah. because it's so ridiculous. Um, and so much fun. <laughs> um, yep. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's one of my favorites. What about you, dad? Something. Well, I, I'll go a little old generation, school. Maybe. Yeah. I'll go old school. Yeah, so, uh, old school. Yeah. So from that perspective, it's the Walter PPK yeah. uh, that James Bond carried uh, in the Sean Connery days. Mm-hmm. Then uh, bringing it up into the era of this movie, it would be uh, mm-hmm. Crocodile Dundee. You, know, <laughs> you, you call that a knife? That's a knife. <laughs> yeah. That's not a knife. This is a knife. <laughs> uh, yeah. For go ahead. Do you want to talk more about the Walter PPK or the, no? That's the. I'll, the I'll, okay. I'll go with that. Well, I like that man. These, I, yeah. I love these references because you had a really good list here, John. If you don't mind me listing some of them, do here. you mind if I kind of talk about a few of these? Oh, sure. Like oh, my, yes. I'll go ahead and say my number one is the lightsaber being the. Star Wars fan. I'm wearing a Star Wars shirt right now. It says you have in four, but um, I mean, yeah, that, I that's just, just an obvious I, I one. Love, you as I was reading the list, list I just, I loved, uh, I loved going through it and thinking about how much, how iconic these different weapons were to these particular movies or, or franchises. Um, like you put Indy's whip in there, which of course is, yeah, is uh, a good one, but there were some that I would not necessarily, Jones, I wouldn't necessarily have thought <laughs> of right away, but like the, the floating spheres from Phantasm, that's awesome, yeah. And uh, Robocop's, his, <laughs> yep. his like automatic pistol that sort of fires differently than any other gun in the history of guns. <laughs> and uh, and you also included um, yeah. Anton Sugar's uh, bolt gun, yeah, from No Country for Old Men. Yeah, yes. that is such an iconic weapon. No Country yeah, for Old Men. Because it's so terrifying. It's, it's, it yeah. is as if he's uh, executing cattle, right? He, yeah, don't. Yeah, just uh, unsuspecting cattle. Um, like, what's going so on? So that was really good. Oh, yeah, Terminator 2, the sawed off shotgun. Dirty Harry's 44 Magnum, uh, the mm-hmm. phasers in Star Trek. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Holy hand grenade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the uh, I think Python. The machine gun is much closer to the holy hand grenade and it's it's total ridiculousness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like what is it doing in this environment in this movie? But then it just blends right in, I think, as as its own character, like I said, because right, it's the different characters can access it. It's just, it has its own screen time. It has its right. own proper noun. And it's also a little out yeah. of reality, uh, right? Like Robo- Robocop's gun was didn't yes. really make sense, yes. really. Yeah, and so the minigun, the way they right. use it in the movie is not how you could actually use it in real life, correct? <laughs> I mean... In theory, yes, but like no, in practical yeah. in practical combat situation, no way, no way. And that's what everybody comments on on the IMDb for firearms and on 
the different commentaries like Shane right. Black is just laughing like this is this is ludicrous and John McTiernan on the commentary is stating how you'd be just like up <laughs> right. to your waist in shells after about a minute firing <laughs> just it's, producing it's like the bouncy 6, balls and spent shells and Chuck E. Cheese at its full speed filled up with machine gun shells <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah yeah so I've, I've seen some statistics on this like you would have to he would have to have you know a thousand pounds worth of of bullets to be able to fire it for as long as he did or whatever. Yeah. And uh and it's an extremely heavy gun too, right? Like normally it would be mounted on a on a vehicle of some sort, probably. Yeah, it's part of it's the heaviness of it, but also a huge part of it that's not right explored as often in people's heads is the fact that any kind of automatic weapon or any kind of weapon that right. when it's fired it gives a kick and it does jerk up um smaller machine guns you know you can kind of control by shooting in short bursts but something like this as soon if you hold it down for just a few seconds you know that thing is going to be flying up yeah. in the air that's the big reason why it's normally mounted if you're firing live rounds out of this it's going to hit you know, 90 degrees in a hurry and then all around it's going to be firing. But because it's firing blanks in the movie, they didn't have that same kick. And so you're not, it's not requiring as much uh, steadiness that amount would, you know, amount would provide in a helicopter. So should there be like an or, alternate cut uh, of this movie you know, where he starts firing it and just immediately flies backwards? <laughs> ah! <laughs> 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 just disappears into the jungle straight up into there just the yeah just arc of <laughs> right the, the predator just goes oh man like i was gonna have some fun with those guys but <laughs> they're all, they're all so just perhaps neat. what he should have brought was a, a bfg 9000 oh yes yes from yeah. the doom series yeah <laughs> Well, I mean, originally in the script, it is just the M60 that they're calling Old Painless. In the 1985 original script, it's, and yeah, it's, it's, so it's, so it's, it definitely doesn't have that same flair. And um, John McTiernan came across it when looking through the armory for, you know, gun props and saying, look, this is like, this is going to be awesome, even. And so it, just to underscore its importance, uh, it is the, am I using that term correctly? To, to highlight its importance, I'll say, um, it is the first time this is being held, the minigun uh, on camera uh, right. as as a handheld. <laughs> For as ridiculous as it is, it did have a first time, and it's it's mm-hmm. here. Um, and you mentioned T2, Jeff, with the sawed-off shotgun. Well, the the fun fact, I have, one of the many fun facts I have for the minigun is that the same one in T2, or the, the one the that Arnold is using one? in T2, is this exact oh. one. It's this exact gun. Yep. What The big change they made was cutting off the um, M60 handguard on the bottom where Jesse's holding it, where Mac is holding it later. Mac! Um, Instead, Mm. they put these chainsaw grip over it. So if you can imagine Arnold firing out of the Cyberdyne building, he's holding it like you would a chainsaw. And it's very appropriate that Jesse Ventura likens firing this um, as holding a chainsaw and in fact like if you think about the logistics of where he has to hold it under it that's a terrible way to hold this thing like on top of everything else being ridiculous because you slip and like <laughs> right. your hand is this thing is falling on your hand yeah this, this <laughs> hot 
rotating metal <laughs> six barrels of fun just hand, landing around your hand. It's it would be like a chainsaw landing on your hand. It'd be like a a, a super hot chainsaw that just came out of the oven <laughs> right. landing on your hand. <laughs> <laughs> you'd have Bruce's chainsaw hand from the Evil Dead series. So <laughs> yeah, well there you go. Then you just remove your dead hand and replace it with the minigun. <laughs> and McTiernan did note that in the film, uh, in in the during the filming. There were essentially no injuries, and he was very concerned about injuries from the uh, the, uh, the dummy bullets, the blanks. Uh, yeah, because right. the, oh, yeah. Uh, the the sound, the percussive percussive sound, and the flash can uh, blind you or mm-hmm. deafen you. Um, and if you if if he had lost control of the gun uh, while he was was firing those blanks and it spun around and pointed it at someone uh just the the uh the noise and the light from the from the blanks could have done serious damage right right i I think it was all remotely operated if i remember like uh, as in it's firing on you know there's uh, someone on uh, slightly behind jesse and mac when it's being fired um but at the same time yeah it's like it's like so quick that Right, it's it, it it is this real danger, even though it's full of blanks. So, man, man that's part of the reason. Yeah, it, it hasn't been held on <laughs> on camera until now. All right. Well, should we get to second twenty seven here? We should. We this should. Is like, we're, we're we're finally meeting our this is our what last we've been building up to. Yeah, our our well, I want to say our last, our next to last major character of the movie after the squad and old painless. Now we're we're finally seeing something as the drums take over those same sweet drums that oh, we've been talking about over yes. and over and over. Yes, we love the drums, drums, please. And and it does this one of the super sweet, super sweet one of these really neat zooms where it's zooming into the jungle and you're going like, wait, hold on, wait, well, why is it zooming into the jungle just now? Like. What's going on? Like yeah. this is the first time that the drums are actually leading us into something, leading us into like what the drums I believe are representing, right? It's just like this real danger, this finally this real thing that they can be affected by in the jungle. And and that would be something that's watching them with a different kind of vision, an altered vision mm-hmm. is how they um, reference it in the script. But if you want to talk about that, one of you guys just for seeing the cool killer POV, but a very unique killer perspective. Yeah. So, uh, oh, go ahead, Bill. Go ahead. No, no, I'm going to please go, go, Jeff. Oh, I just wanted to comment. Uh, I I like what you were uh, talking about, John, um, with, with the zoom into the jungle there, because up until this point, the camera has been moving relatively slowly. Right, we get a lot of static shots. We get some, uh, some, you know, some pans left and right, and then yeah, when these drums start up and we get this zoom into the jungle, and it it kind of changes the feeling uh, immediately when you're watching the movie, and then all of a sudden, at what was it about thirty two, thirty three seconds into this minute, we get the shift into uh, a discolored. The, what we now know is is the heat vision. Yeah, my screen turns blue for some mm-hmm. crazy reason. Mine too. Yeah, and there's I see some kind of pink and orange green shapes shifting through the blue. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we, Dad, you want to you want to mention some 
some well i think uh, so what are we so, seeing yeah so first of all uh, just from the movie perspective uh, you know we, we all looked at that uh that zoom into the jungle and said what do we see what do we see and i think we all agreed we see nothing right we see nothing right so right. so that that's the whole point uh we see nothing but he sees us yeah uh, so, so that's that's very much building the tension uh, uh, of, of the moment. And we get that um, great sound effect where it's kind of like, whoosh, and like yeah. and it switches into this, uh, into the the heat vision. And uh, and there's kind of a thumping in the background, like, kadunk, 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 you know? Yeah. yeah. So you kind of realize yeah, all of a sudden it, that it's from some other perspective. Yes. Right. I think the audio uh, spectrum goes much higher um, mm -hmm. so, uh, w whenever we're, we're on the, the predator and that's, I think that's just a way to differentiate. I don't think it has any meaning for the vision, uh, in particular, mm. but as far as the, the, the thumping, yeah, thumping, yeah, I the thumping sounds like a, like a heartbeat. And are we hearing the viewers or the, whoever's POV we're looking at from here's heartbeat? Or are we hearing like the, you know, the uh, observed their heartbeat? Yeah. Hmm, Good perhaps. question. I always, I perhaps. always thought it was the predator's heartbeat, like that we were now uh, seeing it from his point of view, and uh, so we were getting his heartbeat. But that's an interesting idea. Maybe it is. If he's if he's picking up everything infrared, maybe he's also picking up audio, and he's hearing the hunted their heartbeats. Mm. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, Who knows? Prey. Yeah, the prey. Yeah. But it's a great. That's a great uh, question. I think. I think uh, looking ahead in the movie, uh, kind of look for that and see uh, if from when we're in Predator POV, uh, are we hearing heartbeats? Is that something he's he's picking up also through his senses? Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to yeah. look for that in the future. But this is this is this is uh, again just like the minigun. We're seeing something iconic that this movie is known for, which is giving us uh, a perspective we have not seen up, up till now. Um, we, you might've seen a little bit of night vision or infrared in previous movies, maybe some more movies, but talking about a antagonist, a, the other, right. The, another horror entity where you, you are seeing from their perspective, but it is completely altered. I don't know if this is new here. I was racking my brain trying to come up with other, you know, I, I think it POVs. is new, new, John. It's it's definitely military technology. Now, when you um, w when you look at the scene when it s switches to the predator vision, uh, you immediately uh, think therm thermo vi thermal vision. Yes, it, and thermal vision in nineteen eighty six was was the movie filmed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so in 1986, that would have been very unusual commercial technology. Uh, would have been very much brand new um, technology. The uh, kind of the, the history of of night vision and thermal vision uh, is mostly a military history. The night vision technology was some of the fundamental technologies on it go back to around the uh, early 1900s, but it really wasn't developed uh, until World War II. Hmm. And 
night vision technology was simply the amplification of existing light. So that's not what we're seeing here no. because clearly it, it isn't d dark outside and we're not amplifying stray starlight. Right. If it, if it had been that, uh, what we would be seeing would be a, uh, uh, instead of a, a black and white image, we'd be seeing the green screen image, which is characteristic of that. Mm -hmm. And the military settled early on on green screens because that's where the human eye is most sensitive. And so if you're going to amplify stray light into an image, you're going to want to uh, present it in a way that's easily seen. Green's also very restful to the eye. Mm -hmm. And so you don't get tired of looking uh, in your headset at the green screen. Right. So uh, in the early days, and in fact, uh, uh, much of the... Uh, military technology was the night vision technology that we, we would have seen was a green screen not and, what we're and which we and which we saw in an earlier minute i don't know if you remember the chopper ride in, in the in the helicopter with yes. long Paul sally they do give you like a little bit of preview like hey here's some altered vision and you're like yeah okay i'll discount that as military technology like you're saying but yeah here we're seeing something that right i i don't think a lot of people would have seen at this point like right. maybe, maybe you know what you're looking at because you're like, oh, like I can read a heat map or something like that. But I don't think we're used to seeing somebody seeing from that perspective, especially in, in right this kind of this genre twist of a movie. So a couple of things about this. So uh, so it's not the uh, low light or night vision that we're seeing. Right. Uh, uh, w what we're seeing instead is thermal vision. Right. So th thermal vision is pretty common these days. Uh, very commonly used now to uh, point a thermal vision camera at, at uh, uh, a house to see where it's leaking energy. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, one of the early uses of it was uh, in firefighting to find the hot spots in mm. a fire through the smoke. Mm. Uh, um, and it, it, it wasn't uh, it, well, it, it was available to the military um, into the 1970s. Uh, it was finally uh, declassified. Um, uh, the, the good stuff was declassified, really not until the, the early 1990s. Oh. So, so what we're looking at is kind of a, of a, a pretty early generation thermal vision system. And you can tell that by how few pixels there are in uh, the bodies that, that it's sensing down below in the jungle. Yeah. You know, you're not, yeah. you're not seeing faces. No. You, you're, you know, if you had to guess what the, uh, the, uh, the pixel density or the ability to differentiate temperatures on this, uh, it's pretty uh, light uh, discrimination. Mm -hmm. It's not very, not very accurate. So that's, that's right. interesting uh, because I was reading a research because we all know that I don't do research. <laughs> <laughs> You're reading something I'm, I put I'm, on. I'm reading John's notes <laughs> and uh, the, the production behind doing the, the heat vision is sounds super complicated because they were using a heat vision camera, but the heat vision camera alone was not giving them the image that they wanted. Apparently, you couldn't see mm -hmm. any of the jungle 
in the background. Um, Correct, because the jungles yeah, are all the same yeah. temperature. So it was, yeah, it was giving them so, a really washed out picture. You couldn't differentiate anything that was happening. Right. So that's the uh, another point that I would make when you first see that. You, you think first generation thermal image, and then you think, well, what, how am I able to see all of the right. all of the leaves? Hey, yeah. And, and the answer uh, is, Jeff, exactly what uh, you mentioned is that we're seeing the leaves because they're combining the images uh, from a regular camera and a oh, thermal camera. Now it's making sense. God, I was reading all these notes from the VFX blog. Uh, Joel Hynek, who worked on the movie, gave a very, very technical explanation, and then he gave some anecdotes. But yeah, just like I'll copy and paste that because I don't understand any of it, and I'll <laughs> lean on Dad because my dad has worked with yeah, the thermal that, cameras. That's fascinating. To yeah, me. well, all all they did is they put a yeah they put an optical device called a beam splitter uh, in in uh, in the in the camera lens mm-hmm. uh, and that uh, sent half of the light to a conventional camera and half of the light to the thermal camera. Oh. And then it's simply a matter of you, you, you mount those two cameras on the same rail and you adjust them uh, in very fine detail so that when you uh, recombine the images, um, uh, you're, you're able to... Uh, uh, to have them perfectly So one layer it would be the, the um, jungle background or whatever the regular camera picks up, and then you overlay the heat camera image on top of that. Yeah, this like right. really blurry heat camera image yeah. sounds like. Yeah, and they, uh, they, they may well have been doing in the 1980s, they were probably still uh, using an imaging tube, um, uh, an old uh, scanning tube device, uh, that was common in both television cameras and television displays, mm-hmm. uh, probably in the '60s and early se- into the early '70s, uh, and that's probably what they were still using in the civilian technology for thermal imaging. Yeah, and but yeah, so the conventional camera picks up the jungle. Uh, this uh, first-generation thermal camera picks up uh, the low-resolution images of the people. Wow, that's fascinating. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> makes a lot the more other sense. thing is the, uh, the, the, what is it that's low in resolution? Uh, it's, it's the temperature difference that you're picking up. And so it's like looking at, at uh, shades of a color difference. You're only able to tell a handful of colors or a handful of temperatures. Sure. And so, so that's why the people look so blocky. Right. It's it's not that it's pixelated in that, in that sense uh, of having spatial low spatial resolution. It just has low thermal resolution. And, and you mentioned, Dad, um, this idea or the you mentioned that the the possible problem of having a, a jungle setting as what you're trying to film these people against and trying to pick the people out. Um, the technical advisor here, Joel Hynek, who I talked about just briefly before, gives this anecdote of um, looking at what temperature they would actually lose the resolution and that the people just kind of blend into the jungle temperature. And he said that was about 94 degrees. So what they had to do is they did have to haul in 
these water trucks um, and spray down the jungle, spray down the trees, the bushes, the ground, so that you're actually having that contrast. Otherwise, you don't have it. And he said the first time they sprayed the jungle, it didn't work because he realized that these water trucks have been sitting in the sun and they're just spraying hot water, which made no difference. And so they literally had to truck in ice water to spray down the jungle just for like these few seconds of scenes. Just imagine the production design that goes into that. Um, so that, that so is, I, I, I love that. I love the little know, details. Like the, he's bringing, he's bringing commitment to getting these shots. Like they, they definitely yeah. realized this was an important part of, of the film. This is what was going to make it different than other, other films that were like it, you know? And, uh, well, don't you just love just kind of in general, uh, the introduction of some, uh, some technical thing, um, kind of kind of it's the idea of it that, that yeah. makes the movie mm-hmm. I, I think of the this the different uh star trek series and you know they introduce the transporter and the warp drive and the holodeck mm-hmm. uh, and and data and all of those things uh, so some of them are plot devices i guess i had had heard that the the transporter was just a plot device. We need to get all the people from here to there and not waste any time. Right. And then, uh, and then make it not work when they're underground <laughs> or just inconvenient to the plot. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> there's a whole podcast for that. Don't worry. <laughs> but there's some things like, uh, uh, Oh, what was the automated doctor? Uh, uh, the robotic doctor guy on Star Trek. Uh, was, yeah. On Star Trek. Which one? Uh, not not in the original one, but in the uh, the one nobody sees. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> not is, the it, one with is it the hologram doctor? Yes. Yeah. I, d- I don't know. I only know the next generation yeah. myself. Yeah. Anyway, uh, sk- skipping over all of that, right. uh, fi- fix this in post. <laughs> uh, <laughs> will do. Right. Th- their ideas. <laughs> <laughs> There are ideas like the holodeck that, that just kind of grab you. And I think the notion of a, a creature that senses the world differently, but in a way that's kind of familiar, this thermal vision is starting to come into our, uh, into our yeah. world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's still not a common thing here yeah. 30 years later. I, I agree uh, completely. I, you know, um, going back again to my horror sensibilities, um, it's you've got a, a first you've got a first person person uh, POV shot right here of the killer, uh, reminiscent of mm-hmm. say Halloween or Friday the Thirteenth or any of the knockoff slashers from the nineteen eighties that came before the Predator. And here we kind of yeah. get the Predator is our is our slasher, uh, and we get their POV yeah. shot, but we get this brand new, really never seen before perspective where, oh, okay, so there's something a little different about this. Um, and that just adds a really great element and a, a little bit of a surprise. And really, you know, the first time you see this, you kind of perk up in your seat when when this comes yeah. about. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. Just like the minigun, like I was saying, it's a, it's a game changer. It's iconic, especially in the sense that if I see thermal imaging nowadays, I instantly think, Oh, right. predator vision. <laughs> I'm sure that's, I'm sure that's like a common connection that people make nowadays. Like, you know, 31 years later, people still see thermal pictures and say, Oh, it's just like the predator. <laughs> like just, just like that minigun, just yeah. like, we'll paint yeah. this. So you mentioned a couple of practical problems they had in the jungle. Uh, 
John, you've walked into my garage and I have an infrared sensor light <laughs> in the garage that light, lights things up for you when you walk in there. Right. Uh, you walk in there in the this time of year, the light comes on instantly. Mm-hmm. You walk in there in the summer and you might have to take off the, your hat and point your bald head at it. And uh, because of exactly this problem, you're, if it's 95 degrees in the garage, uh, it can't tell the difference between me and the rest of the garage. Oh man, uh, have you guys seen the movie Sneakers? It's been forever, so I'm, I'm with, just going to say uh, no. With Robert, with Robert Redford, no. Oh, that, yeah, it's been a yeah. while. So, Bill, your your description of your garage reminds me of one of the, the climactic scene in the movie Sneakers, which is a, a movie I love, where he's trying to break into a building and uh, yeah, they turn the heat up. Yeah, the alarm yep. is is based on on he- sensing heat in the room, so they turn the heat up to ninety eight degrees, so that when he jumps in there, his body temperature matches the temperature of the room. <laughs> oh my gosh! Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The other uh, thing about the, the technology we use today is that it's based on rate of change, not absolute temperature. Oh, and, calculus. And so, yeah. So if you if Nerd. you put yourself in a <laughs> bunch of nerds, <laughs> yeah. If you if you creep across my garage, even in the winter, you can creep across it in the dark and not get the light to oh, turn so on. So I can steal your black book from the. Whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, that, that picture book of John's baby pictures. Oh, no. That's right. Nobody wants that. <laughs> I so want it. The, the other thing about predator vision, if I could uh, kind of uh, finish off on that. Yeah. There, there's a kind of a biological uh, question here of how, how is it exactly that he is able to do this <clears throat> biologically? And that remains a bit of a mystery, how, how this is, is, is conceivable. Biological uh, heat sensors have to be cooled below the temperature of their surroundings, mm-hmm. or or else they just get overwhelmed with the uh, heat signature of the of the creature that that has the oh, the heat sensors. Right. Mm-hmm. So in, in nature, you don't see heat sensors in in what we call warm blooded mammals. You see them in cold blooded animals like snakes, mm. and even in snakes, the classic example being the uh, pit viper, uh, pit vipers like rattlesnakes that that have heat sensors. They have them separate from their eyes, out on their heads, in a place where they can uh, get those sensors out in the air and cooled off a bit. Holy cow! Hmm. So it's a, a little bit unclear, uh, and of course we don't need to ex- explain it. He's an alien. Uh, is it is well, it conceivable uh, if it's part of his? Helmet, part of his. Yeah, I have, to, uh, I have to jump in as the the nerd and say, yeah, Dad, sorry, but it's it's the helmet that has the heat vision. Uh, Once he removes it later in the movie, everything just kind of turns red. So, so, so it's it's so he just has military grade technology in his helmet for mm. uh, aiming his shoulder cannon and for being able to pick out heat signatures. So I think what happens when later in the movie, after uh, he jumps in the waterfall and loses the helmet. Mm-hmm. I, I think that I guess my my explanation for that is that he has 
the best biological heat-sensitive eyes, and the helmet is just matching the scene to what his eyes are capable of seeing. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, he doesn't so, he, he doesn't lose the helmet till much later, and he does it voluntarily just to clear up some pot, plot points. Uh, he does come out of his active camouflage when he jumps in the water after Arnold. And when Arnold is covered in mud, he still has the helmet on. He doesn't take the helmet off until he's going mano y mano with Arnold uh, a lot later. And he's just beating Arnold in the face. And, and for whatever reason, he takes off the helmet. And we don't, I don't think it's really explained why. Must explain it. I, I agree. This is the something that has, we have to explain it. Like, who else is going to be explaining it? <laughs> Vengeance nerds. Yep. Okay. So continue with your take, Dad. Yeah. No, I think it's much the same thing that uh, the sunglasses do for us on a bright day. It just converts what's really out there into something that is a little more compatible with mm-hmm. our biology. Ah. Okay. So my theory then on that is like the jungle is really hot, but for some reason his helmet is able to differentiate the jungle non well. No, jungle's all <laughs> organic. I don't know. <laughs> sure. uh, I was thinking to explain like, oh, that would explain it. But no, maybe it's just something about life forms that he's able to pick mm. up versus plant forms. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I think he's got cameras, a bean splitter in his cameras. helmet. Oh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> just not mud. Mud is his, yeah. Mud all is right. His, so Achilles heel. that kind of brings us yeah. uh Past the heat vision. Holy cow! That yeah, that was that was so wonderful. Thank you, thank you, Dad, for bringing the the heat vision talk. I was like, this is this is the perfect guest. This is awesome. This is awesome. <laughs> Phil, that was awesome. Good insight on the heat vision. Yeah. So and the and ahead. the camera work. I find that part fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, in more ways than one, the camera work. Like right, John McTiernan yeah. is like for his for for his effort here in this movie. It's it's just it's just insane because he's working with all these moving pieces like he's not just filming you know the actors on screen he's also taking into account this other entity this other point of view what this other that what their enemy is seeing and not only that but how they're seeing their yeah. prey just 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 so many moving pieces that he i feel like nailed in this movie well that that kind of closes out the minute because in the last i don't know 10 seconds it switches back to you know regular view and we just get a shot of, of the guys just kind of like running through the jungle real quick. Yep. And uh, that's about it. Not much Not much else happens there. Yeah, I, um, I agree. There's not a, not a whole lot else going on in the minute. It, so. It's essentially a recreation of what we saw heat vision just now in regular vision. Just seeing them kind of run through. The- yeah. Oh, last little connection. So um, every episode or so, I try to reference this field manual for the Army Jungle Operations, written in 1982. Oh, yes. um, and they're they're mentioning some of their military grade technology. And on page five dash four, the quote is surveillance is sorry surveillance target acquisition and night observation otherwise known as stano devices especially infrared starlight scopes and unattended ground sensors are quite effective in gathering information about troop movements in the jungle radars and photography are not as effective because of the concealment of the foliage Hmm. and it's something i'm going to keep going back to again and again because in the original script it talks about the predator having this altered vision this altered point of view and I just have this 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 hunch that the screenwriters had this in their laps, this field manual as they're writing um, the script, because I feel like so many things for army operations and army tactics and the tactics used by all three sides we see in the movie um, are taken from this. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So, um, yeah. yeah. Any, Sorry. Anything Sorry. else? Uh, <laughs> I was going to add something there and I, I, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you covered it. You got it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, dad, I, I have to ask, like, you sound like you know a lot about thermal cameras. Uh, it's, do you have experience working with thermal cameras? Is it anything like predator vision? So uh, the most relevant experience that I could, could speak to that is kind of easy to understand uh, in the uh, early 90s, I worked with a, a camera company that developed a camera that could see inside of a particular combustion process in cement plants uh, called a, a, a lime kiln or the cement, cement kiln, rather, in the, uh, in the cement plant. And they had an opportunity to save millions of dollars uh, and solve an environmental problem by burning tires <laughs> that had been thrown in the landfill in the, in the cement kiln. And the EPA allowed them to do this, provided they could certify that uh, the temperatures in the cement kiln uh, were the, r- the right temperature. Mm-hmm. And so uh, like, we did developed- it have to be hot enough to to burn it to a point where it wouldn't send up too much pollution. Is that the idea? Right. It, it and like an automobile engine, you don't want it too hot because you produce nitrous oxides. You don't want it oh, right. too too cool because uh, uh, it's incomplete combustion and doesn't make the uh, uh, cement uh, uh, quality that you want. Oh, interesting. So these cameras. Uh, you had to be able to uh, visually see the combustion zone and you had to be able to accurately measure temperature in the combustion zone. And once uh, this camera was developed and deployed, then the EPA gave approval to burn millions of these tires uh, in <laughs> cement plants around the, around the country. Burn those tires. Now, that's what happens to them now instead of just collecting in the, in the dump. Light the tires. And so that, that device... Uh, uh, was pretty early in technology development, and the expensive part was the uh, sensors that could accurately measure temperature. Those were infrared sensors. Mm-hmm. So to keep keep things simple, uh, they had a a beam splitter hey. in fr- in Ooh. front of a uh, a high resolution camera that the operators could use to see into the kiln, and on the other side of the beam splitter. Uh, was a temperature sensor that could accurately measure the temperature uh, in the combustion zone where the tires were actually burning. Wow, so. it's almost like the EPA was <laughs> us- using scientific research to make smart decisions about the health of our planet. Well, I, 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 had, I read that the EPA administrator was a big Predator fan. So that- <laughs> well, it's just such a, such a contrast to our current EPA that it, my mind is, I, I forget, I forget that things were normal a couple of years ago. <laughs> Dad's at the plant, yeah, yeah, just going, oh, why don't you call in, you know, the normal engineers? Why do you, what do you need us for? <laughs> you hear some voice, because some damn fool accuse you of being the best. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> that sounds like my dad. <laughs> uh, it, it brings me, John. You can uh, since, since you probably watched Predator on the Sly when uh, when I was out of the house at, uh, I did. back in the day, Tyler's house. <laughs> <laughs> 
I got a big kick out of uh, a comment I saw from a Predator fan. Uh, he said that he watched it with his uncle. His, his uncle let him watch it. When his dad wouldn't. Uh, and the, the uncle sat calmly through all the scenes of gore and mayhem. Mm-hmm. Uh, but whenever an F-bomb was dropped, he would, <laughs> he would start singing. <laughs> don't listen to that, boys. <laughs> we don't care how many people we kill and gut. Right. <laughs> Skin alive. And, yeah. Don't say the F word. <laughs> uh, so I had to laugh. That, it sounded a bit like me. Yeah. <laughs> don't watch the kissing, but check out this explosion. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. No, you're you're taking us to all the good movies back in the day. I remember like the Return of the Jedi <laughs> and James Bond. And, yeah, Indiana Jones, all that good stuff. <laughs> Gosh, we have anything else? Yeah, we have after after we cut it off to go to post. I'll tell you a funny James Bond story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I know the one you mean. Um, <laughs> then I won't tell it. <laughs> no, no, no. You, you could tell it. It might be it might be a new one. There's. Buy some new stories out there. Um, gosh, I don't, know, I don't know if there's anything else. The only la- last things I have written here is the note that it's uh, Chekhov's minigun. So we see it here in the first act. We're hopefully going to see it fired in the third act, if not the I think, second I think we act. Might. I think we might. If not earlier. I think we might. I think we might. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and it's also, uh, this is an all-team minute. So we see all the team members either speaking oh. or moving around the jungle. It's, it's not a lot of minutes that we've had that. And we've had maybe a handful, but nice. I didn't it's really, even it's really exciting. That I watched it. Nice. Yeah. I mean, you see people just kind of moving quickly through the jungle in terms of the non-speakers, but yeah, it's, it's yeah. It's neat to see the whole gang is here. Um, and gosh, do we, we reach the end of the minute? I think, yeah, I think we've reached the whole recommend yeah. section of the podcast. Ah. So dad, this is the place where we normally ask the guest and, each other, you know, what, what's something good that you've been seeing or reading or listening to? So if you want to start off as being the guest, something that you'd recommend for our esteemed good-looking audience. Mm-hmm. Good-looking. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. You know, one ugly mother. I'm, I'm working my way through uh, Philip K. Dick's, uh, uh, what is it, Electric Lights? No, Electric, electric Dreams. Dreams. Oh, uh, on Amazon and uh, on Amazon, and there is a, uh, a one in particular that I'm really excited about: the Autocon episode, uh, because the lead character is named Zabriski. No, 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 and uh, that's awesome. Yeah, love it. Go see it. Okay, wait. I thought okay, so it's not the actor, but it's the character. It's the character. Oh my gosh! Is that a for yeah, Emily Zabriskie played nice. by That's the one. Juno nice. Temple? What I, has there ever been a Zabriskie actor? I mean, a Zabriskie character? I know there's been Grace Zabriskie who is in a bunch of movies, but I don't know if there's ever Are been. You saying that no God. one came up when you Googled yourself, John. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's true. Every day when I Google myself, it's uh, just. <laughs> Just a bunch of spam ads. Just, Damn it. Just spam. <laughs> that sounds like me. Would I, you I do like a lot to of... build a website, John <laughs> This one's not taken either. Like, none of your name is taken. Like, oh, that's so sad. Oh, man. I've been, uh, no, that uh, Electric Dreams has been sitting. It always pops up as a recommended show for me on Amazon. So I'll have to check that out. 
Yeah, and I'm look, gonna have to check as a brisky character. Yeah, autofact. Yeah, autocon or auto. What is it? Auto, autofact. Okay. Autofact. Right. Yeah, autofact. I think it's episode eight. Short for automatic factory. Ah, okay. <clears throat> Nerds. Nerds. <laughs> Nerds. Uh, I've just got one one recommend this week. I, last week I went a little overboard with three recommends. <laughs> that was great. No, yeah, I love all the recommends. Uh, I saw. I didn't. It's a little movie. It takes place in the Iraqi <laughs> desert. <laughs> George oh, Clooney. <laughs> and after that, there's another movie about two cops. One is named Tango. The other is named Cash. Cash. <laughs> Tango and Cash. Cash and Tango. Tango, cash. Tango and Cash. So George Clooney's Aunt Rosemary is in uh, White Christmas. Oof, and, uh, what? So, yeah. Uh, yep. That's how he got in. Then was he just had a relative who was a big movie star. All right. Besides mm. Three Kings and Tango and Cash, which everyone should obviously go see, right. um, I saw one. <laughs> I, I was only able to see one movie this week because of the holidays. I was very busy. But I, uh, of course, it's a horror movie because this is what I do. Uh, but yeah, of I, course, yeah, I checked out a movie recently released on uh, VOD, and it's called Hellfest. Mm-hmm. Hellfest. Hellfest. <laughs> And it's a uh, it's it's pretty great. It's a uh, it's a family it's a, movie, Jeff. It's a family movie. Yeah. Gather the kids around, <laughs> children. <laughs> We're gonna go to Hellfest. <laughs> uh, Hellfest is a a, a modern slasher. Um, it's and that's kind of why I liked it. I I have an affinity for your classic '80s slasher. I love the Friday the Thirteenth movies, um, Halloween. I love all the shitty mm-hmm. knockoffs that came out in the 80s that were also slashers um they're just they're just like popcorn mm-hmm. comfort food to me for horror movies <laughs> but uh this, this is uh like i said like a modern you're just talking about this has got me looking over my shoulder here <laughs> hopefully the power doesn't go out <laughs> uh, so Hellfest is just about it's the classic it's the classic story about four teenagers that go to a uh, a uh, kind of a haunted house uh, uh, festival uh, and within that uh, haunted house festival there's a, a killer that stalks them throughout and uh, it was pretty great. It's just a kind of a straightforward slasher. It's got some good kill scenes, some good, uh, some good gore gags, if you will. Great special effects, and uh, I, I enjoyed <laughs> it. It was you know ninety minutes and uh, kind of perfect if you're if that's what you're looking for. Awesome. Where do you find that? You said uh, it's just for rent right now, like VOD. So you can find you can rent it on okay. iTunes, Amazon Prime, or Amazon, whatever. Sweet. And I, I should okay. mention that Autofac is my favorite genre, which is post-apocalyptic, uh, but with a big twist. Mm, I do. Ah, there wasn't a twist enough that the world had ended. <laughs> <laughs> I do love a, a good more. post-apocalyptic story. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, same. Yeah, yeah I'm a sucker. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I was going to mention Bird Box as kind of a recommend, but honestly, I just skipped through it. I probably watched about 15 total minutes of that oh, movie. Oh, really? I haven't so that's a, that's a, wanting to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. I would say I would say let it breathe and give it a chance, but I just didn't really have time lately. So I saw Spider-Man Into the oh, Spider-Verse yeah. as promised last episode. I saw that with uh, Mike Fleming. Really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, it's just wonderful artistic style and the voice acting is top notch. It has a really good emotional core. Um, so 
I, I don't don't want to say too much about like the plot or anything like that, but it has you know uh, there's some good emotions at the core of it and that are driving the characters. Um, just the variety of uh, the different Spider Men, as promised in the title and uh, in the trailers, uh, just just really lends for all kinds of antics uh, and. I don't know, good crossover potential. Yeah, probably, I've heard you know, really good future. things. But yeah, I, I, I would totally recommend it. I love, love the music, love just about everything about that movie. The art style, the the shoes he's mm-hmm. wearing kind of drove me to buy some Air yes. Jordan ones. Yes. <laughs> uh, the low top versions, not the high top. I'm not much of a high top wearer, but yeah, I just really nice. enjoyed it. Uh, anyway, so this is the part of the show where we say, where do we find people? So, uh, Dad, you being the guest, where can people find you online? What kind of uh, things that you have? Now, Bill, be careful on? because as soon as you say where you can find yourself, <laughs> you're going to get flooded <laughs> with treasure minute listeners. Just warning you. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm yeah, it's uh, I'm widely nuts. available as Carl underscore Hungus. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> You too. <laughs> only, only mine is has a C, not a K. Oh, my name is <laughs> That's where all my that's all my followers have gone. I went to the wrong address. That's where they're going. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, I hang out on LinkedIn. <laughs> where I'm, where I'm, Carl. Space hunger. <laughs> this is the best part of the podcast. <laughs> oh no, Carl Hungus. Oh, well done. Well, everyone knows where they can find me. Just follow me or not. <laughs> I need to look up is there Carl Hungus on LinkedIn? Oh, there are several Carl Hunguses. Carl Hungai. <laughs> are they all porn stars? Yep, one of them says no. Jackie Treehorn Productions. <laughs> another one oh, says video producer. Yeah. So I think so. Oh, there's another Treehorn <laughs> reference. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Yeah. My fantasy football name one year was Jackie <laughs> Treehorn Productions. How are you going to keep him down? And- <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. Not that, yeah, we'll cut that from the show. Thanks, Dan. Um, <laughs> and here's my address. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to send John any notes about it's a good thing I edit these and not <laughs> you guys. Um, um, so go ahead, <laughs> listener, and email us your favorite iconic movie weapon and why. This is the weapon of a Jedi Knight, not as clumsy or random as a blaster. An elegant weapon for a more civilized age. Walter PPK, 7.65 mil with a delivery like a brick through a plate glass window. A knife. That's a knife. All painless is waiting. At PredatorMinute at gmail.com, we're available (laughs) to respond to all your questions. They're just flying in, much like the Twitter followers of... Jeff Carl Hungus. Yeah, I just can't keep right all now, those emails blocking, out of the inbox. Blocking request. <laughs> 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 uh, 
but you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Predator Minute, uh, on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, all those podcatching apps. I don't think we have anything else. So for Predator Minute, I've been John Zabriskie. I'm Jeff Glover. Oh, no. <laughs> Is Bill alive? Oh, no, he just dropped Bill? out. Oh, my F. Uh, oh. Until next time. Stick around. Oh, no. <laughs> Who is your daddy and what does he do?